0: Since 1971, Beauty O Books has specialized in ornithology and natural history. They're a small, family owned and operated mail order bookstore with the largest selection of new, used, and rare birding and ornithology books in the world and a knowledgeable staff ready to help. Find field guides, travel guides, ornithology, natural history, humor, even children's books to inspire the next generation's love of nature. Visit beautyobooks.com to find everything you're looking for, and ABA members receive 10% off. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I'm your host, Nate Swick. I have an owl story for you, not a burrowing owl story, though I am still soliciting those. Podcast.aba.org if you want to send those to me. It's a snowy owl story, and it's not a birders gone bad story. It's actually a really heartwarming thing. So, this is a snowy owl year, at least in the East and the Midwest. Lots of snowies have been moving down the coast as far south as North Carolina, this winter. And one just happened to show up right in the middle of Washington, D.C., on the plaza outside Union Station, where it has been for about two weeks now. It's not all that often that a snowy owl shows up in such an accessible spot. I mean, it is literally at one of the largest transportation hubs on the East Coast, a few blocks from the Capitol building uh, in the Smithsonian. You could theoretically enjoy the smithsonian museum of natural history and then walk over to a real natural history phenomenon not that the ones in the museum aren't real i mean live live natural history phenomenon i don't know if people are making that specific trip uh, but lots of people have seen the bird the eBird map is a giant cluster of dots on and around union station i've seen some photos of the bird sitting on the roof of union station it's all just really very cool One of our former board members at the ABA, Matt Fraker, had this practice for when he would find a new or otherwise noteworthy bird that he wanted to see. Uh, Matt got tired of the line that birders were not philanthropic, that our efforts didn't always go to conservation in the way that hunters or anglers do. So he would go out of his way to make a donation to some entity associated with the bird that he saw. If he saw a new bird at a state park, he'd make a donation to the park's friends group in the name of the bird seen for refuges or management areas or just about any place where a bird might be seen, there's almost always some sort of associated organization that is frequently in dire need of money. It's hard to do that for this snowy owl, of course. I mean, I guess, you know, all taxpayers are making those donations. But observers of the owl have certainly noticed that they aren't the only ones in this park. Sadly, there are a large number of unhoused people spending the night sleeping outside Union Station. And while snowy owls are well adapted to freezing overnight conditions, humans very much less so. So DC birder Noah Van Wilder started up a fundraising campaign for those who have enjoyed seeing this bird to do some good in connection with that experience. He's raising money for Pathways to Housing DC, an organization that serves unhoused people in the district. They've already raised more than $4,000 this week from birders proving that there are lots of ways to make a positive difference through birds. Thanks, Noah, for bringing it to my attention. I hope people continue to enjoy the snowy owl. If you're in the area, you really should go see it because it's it's really cool to see a snowy owl, just generally. And you can help out, even a little bit, the people that share this space with this amazing bird. On the show this week, let's continue to talk about great causes furthered through birding, in this case, big ears and records being broken. Tiffany Kirsten who spent 2021 in an effort to set a new record for the lower 48 joins us to talk about her big year and her bigger cause. All that after this week's rare Birds. This is your Rarebird focus for the third week of January, 2022 In 2021. There were 120 state provincial district territorial first in the ABA area. One in new Brunswick was a Slady backed goal. In 2022, so far, we have two, both of them slatyback gulls. I talked about the South Carolina first earlier this month, this week, a slatyback gull in Anne Arundel County. Maryland is a first for that state. Is this going to be the long-promised year of the slatyback gull? The species has been recorded in every Canadian province and territory now, and all but 19 states, most of which are in the southeast and the interior west. So maybe not very many gaps left to fill in for that species. 2022 has started a little slow, though I recall that being the case last year too. Other birds of note include Nevada's third record of barred owl in Washoe, coming only a few months after the state's second record and perhaps presaging the continued westward expansion of that species. And in Wyoming, an ancient merlet was taken into a rehab facility in Teton County where it did not survive. Though it is primarily a bird of the North Pacific, ancient merlet has perhaps the most extensive pattern of vagrancy across the continent of any alcid, turning up with some regularity in the Great Lakes and eastward. That is all I have for you this week. If you want the entire roundup, check out the Rare Bird Alert on Fridays at aba.org slash RBA. Or to get those rarities as soon as they happen, please join the ABA Rare Bird Alert group on Facebook. Texas birder Tiffany Kirsten did not start 2021 with an ambitious year of birding in mind. Who would, necessarily, in the middle of a pandemic with the world still more or less shut down. But out of a job because of COVID closures and with other hobbies inaccessible, the opportunity opened up to do something special. At the end of the year, she had traveled across the lower 48 U.S. states, raised awareness on the issue of women's safety in the outdoors, set a new lower 48 big year record of 726 species, and launched her own bird tourism business. She's with me to talk about it all uh, listeners might remember tiffany from an earlier episode about the impact of the texas border wall on birding, way back in 2019 it's great to have you back uh congratulations on your massive accomplishment thank you and thanks for having me you know i always find big years that don't start out as big years kind of interesting uh it took a, a few weeks for you to really <laughs> decide to go all in on the effort can you talk about that decision and and what if any was the turning point
1: yeah. So, um, I guess it goes back to November of, um, 2020, I mm-hmm. was, uh, working, managing a nature center here in the Rio Grande Valley and, um, I got let go. Um, and so I was trying to figure out what, what was next. I had just mm-hmm. bought a house in May of 2020. So kind of cemented myself here in the Rio Grande Valley and was definitely trying to consider, um, whether I really belonged here anymore. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, So, you know, I started applying for jobs immediately and, um, in the meantime, I figured, well, I've been bird guiding on the side for 10 years or so, I was just Mm going to show people birds for money until I figure out what's next. So, um... That took off like crazy. I started booking people. I, I did that through a lot of December and then the beginning of January I had some time um some time open and a friend of mine uh, was interested in birding Florida who had never birded Florida before. So we did a trip to Florida, um picked up all of the, the specialty species and everything for my friend and came back with, with two hundred species, had some really great um birds along the way in the Florida Keys.
0: Um there was yeah, I was gonna say there was some good vagrants there at that time i remember yeah. that is so like that red-legged fresh was hanging around and a lot yeah. of cool stuff
1: cuban peewee yeah yeah came back with 200 species um and then i just was guiding more still trying to find a full-time job and a- around texas around the country i was open to anything um and i, I guided uh, aba big deer birder charlie boswick um mm-hmm. For a couple of days, we got him all the, the rarities and all the valley specialties. And, you know, he's the kind of one that, that put the bug in my ear. You know, he's like, Well, you're in the middle of, of things. You know, why don't This is a transitory period of your life. <laughs> and why don't you just do a big year? Like, like as if everyone could just, you know, drop all the responses. <laughs> right. That, that was crazy. That's insane, you know, like, but, but I think that's really what put the idea in my head. Um, yeah. and I guided some more um, for a couple more weeks after that. And then the second week in February, I had another week where I had no clients. Um, so, and there were five lifers that I needed that were in Arizona at the time, Rufus Stack, Robin, and I still needed Violet Crowned Hummingbird and Williamson mm-hmm. Sucker and a couple of others. Um, so I was like, well, you know, I, I need a break from things. I need to get away. I was still really stressed about having lost my job. So I just road tripped in my tiny little Chevy spark to Arizona and I figured I'd do a little loop and get the five birds and come back and camp and, you know, have a little camp mm-hmm. stove and I was eating condensed soup, like super low budget travel. Um, <laughs> cause I didn't know, you know, where my next paycheck was coming from really. Right. So I was I was on my way um, to Arizona. I had camped one night in Hill Country in Central Texas and one night in West Texas. And I was leaving the following morning, um, Franklin Mountain State Park in El Paso, and I flushed some scaled quail with my car. And I, I, I don't know what it was about the quail. I flushed the quail. And at that point, people <laughs> had already been reaching out to me, they, following eBird, I guess, and seeing that I had a really high number yeah. of species for that time of year. Um, and people were asking me if I was doing a big year. I'm like, no, that's crazy. I'm not doing a big year. I went to Florida <laughs> and I'm guiding in the Rio Grande Valley. That's it. You know, and now I just need to take this little vacation and get away. Um, well, I flushed the scaled quail and that was 287 species, um, on February 10th. And I, I just right there got on my social media and did a little story on Facebook and Instagram and said, I don't know what's going to happen. Probably going to get a job at some point. I don't know what my goal is, but um, <laughs> I'm going to go to Arizona right now and we'll see how many species I can see. Um, So I was set to meet a friend um, to look for Sagebrush Sparrow, which was one of my life retargets um, that afternoon. And I I messaged him and I said, hey, change of plans. Um, (laughs) I'm doing a big year. I'll see you in, you know, a few hours. And I said, I need to get everything. So then it was just completely rearranging everything in my head. Um, You know, it was like, oh, I need to get Mexican tickety, you know, while I'm down there. Um, So it was just a completely spur of the moment decision while I was already on the road.
0: It is sort of weird how you know big years have always been ABA area big years, but you know the lower forty eight. It's a big, big, big year. I mean, it's a long, a lot of, lot of area. Um, have always been the sort of thing that people take on when like they're retired, they have all this time, they've built off all this, you know, I don't know, equity. They have this money in the bank, <laughs> they can do it. And now it's like now it's becoming almost more of a thing where like, hey, I've got, I've got, I've got some, I've got some time here. Might as well go see as much as I can see it's a really kind of neat, uh, attitude to take into a big year. Um, did you have any sort of like larger strategy or did you just kind of go with the flow for the most part, at least for that beginning, I would think, but eventually you, you got to kind of think about where you want to be to intersect with some of these birds.
1: Yeah. And that, that was the situation I was in. So I was in Arizona and I spent a few days collecting up these birds and I was trying to figure mm-hmm. out what's next. And I had a, I had a temporary roommate at the time, um, who was watching my dog back home. So <laughs> of. And it was like, well, I'm, you know, this is going to be a mostly driving big year, like budget wise. I need yeah. to be as budget friendly as possible. So I was like, well, I'm already in Arizona from, from South Texas and um, you know, California's next door, but I don't have a plan. You know, I don't have a target. Right. I haven't done any research, you know, r- range restricted birds, you know, California condor and yellow billed magpie things like that. Like I don't, I don't have a plan. I don't have a route. You know, California is an absolute giant state. But I yep. like, well, I like to do this now. So actually, um, Charlie had done uh, California a couple of weeks before and he had done it from north to south. So he had given me his target list and I just reversed it. Um, and then yeah. I had a good amount of research to do still on top of that. But then I at least had kind of an order of of how to do these things. So I ended up making my way um, from San Diego all the way up to San Francisco. I uh, spent a few days with uh, my friend Dorian Anderson, who did the, the biking for mm-hmm. first big year in 2014. Um, and we went around for a few days and got some birds um, there, White Wagtail and uh, Rock Sandpiper were two of the birds that stick out um, that we got in the area. actually went with him. Um, we tried bike birding for a Harlequin duck. <laughs> this bit, oh, yeah. I wanted to have kind of that be a little... Piece of my big year was bike biking for a, a year bird with Dorian.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you're gonna incorporate parts of other people's big years, you might as well do Dorian's. Dorian's was a really good one. <laughs> yeah. Did you have any moment where you were in like a weird place in those early days, just thinking like I can't believe that I'm here doing this, or like you were kind of half in, half out, or were you just 100 from the from the go, from the moment you decided to do it?
1: Oh, uh, I guess I was half in for a <laughs> lot of the year. Um, because yeah. I- Flying, you know, flying for jobs, absolutely nonstop, interviewing for a ton of jobs. Um, And I figured that at some point I would need to get a job and kind of settle into wherever that job was. And maybe I'd be able to travel some on weekends. But I I figured that at some point during the year, um, that was going to definitely change.
0: But it never did. You just kept going.
1: But it never did. And I just kept going. (laughs) Um, The universe, I think, pushes you to where you're supposed to be and never in a million years. I've never been the kind of person I've never once in my life thought, you know, someday I really hope I can do a big year. I've never really been Mm a blister. I've been a bit of a chaser, but, um, not on the, you know, whole United States scale. So it never was going
0: to say, it's hard not to be in South Texas. There's always good stuff (laughs) showing up down there. (laughs) Yeah. How much did you mind the, the birding community for information during the year? It seems like local birders are always really excited to help out on these sorts of efforts and and there's there's like more and more people out there who have done some version of a big year so whatever big year is sort of they get a lot of value out of you know I, we talked about Dorian and his biking big year but like there's all sorts of big years out there and all sorts of ways people have have a, have gone after that did you did you kind of tap into this big year community of birders that is out there and growing to to kind of plan things out from there
1: I did definitely yeah and I I've, I've known a lot of them I've known Dorian for yeah, years. Yeah right great friends with him and then yeah I knew, I knew Christian Hagenlooker a bit um mm-hmm. Jeremy Dominguez who held the current record her had the, held the record until um this past year um and definitely reached out to them and and got closer with some of the big year birders and um and uh yeah not but not just the big year birders really everybody um and and that's what helped me kind of make it through the year i guess um mm-hmm. so the other part of the backstory of my big year aside from the logistics and kind of timing and this aha moment of you know okay i'm gonna try to do this um just a few days after i committed to doing a big year uh, leaving west texas uh news of a very uh widespread um sexual assault accusation came out
0: mm-hmm. uh, that okay. a lot
1: of birders became aware of and um As a survivor myself, um, I was I was assaulted by my archery coach um, about three and a half years ago now. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it definitely made me have second thoughts. Just literally, it was probably like three days after I decided to do it. So I was I was all around Southeast Arizona, all by myself, camping in my little purple car um, and really trying to decide whether or not this is something I should continue to pursue and and wondering if it was something that was going to eventually wind up, um, you know, landing me in a position for something similar to maybe happen to me again.
0: Yeah, sure. You know, in addition to finding lots of birds, the, the year was about kind of a mission to make the outdoors safer, but it's, it's hard not to notice that big ears and competitive birding in general is very male dominated, despite the fact that we know that there are more women birders than men in the U S <laughs> and Canada. It puts you in these unusual places. Um, do you think that this concern makes it you know, maybe less likely that women would participate in these efforts, generally speaking? I mean, obviously, it was always on your mind.
1: Yes, yes. And, you know, throughout the year, I continue to have more and more conversations with women that I meet along the way Mm -hmm. um, about that and about, you know, whether they travel solo. And, you know, yes, we see more than 50% at at the baseline, kind of entry-level, intermediate-level birders, we see more Mm -hmm. women and then they drop out as you get into, yeah competitive birding, um, you know, bird guiding, professional Mm -hmm. bird guiding. Um, A lot of the tour companies actually have a page where they have everyone's photos and maybe everyone's names on one page. But if you click on each of the names, a lot of the women um, are the the office support staff. And so they're, you know, Mm -hmm. these are clearly trying to make it look like it's a little bit more um, diverse, gender diverse, um, but it's not. Yeah, Definitely. Um, a lot of conversations about why, why there aren't women in those positions, a lot of, you know, you need to be able to be comfortable fully immersing yourself in these birding experience and really learning the birds in order to Mm -hmm. fit to, to whatever level, not that everyone has to by any means aspire to be a guide or a big year birder, competitive birder, any type. But, um, you know, for those of us who want to, we need to feel space in the spaces um that we need to go to to learn to grow as birders
0: so what were you what was your plan to do something i know you you hooked up with a with a company called uh birdie appropriately named birdie was that was was this product that you were kind of working with were they it wasn't just a like a birding specific thing it was just an outdoors thing it just so happened to be called birdie which was kind of a perfect intersection of what was what you were doing
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, and the company's not even necessarily. I mean, it's obviously useful in the outdoors, but it's just a it's mm-hmm. a general personal safety alarm, you know, for even walking in a big city to your car or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a few days after I mentioned, a few days after I committed to my big year, um, word of the the publicized assault came out, um, and then yeah. a few days after that, I was in California. I was talking with some friends and. You know, I said, I, I still want to do this, but I want my big year to have a greater mission. I want this to be bigger than myself. I honestly, mm-hmm. if it wasn't for having another focus of the project, I wouldn't have been much less motivated to go run around and, and chase birds all over the yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm sure.
1: Just serendipitously in my social media, this She's Birdie personal safety alarm company shows up. Um, And I think probably the algorithm, since it's Birdie and I'm into (laughs) it, is probably why it showed up. But, yeah, it's called um, Birdie because the alarm, they say the alarm chirps. They're
0: half loudly. um that makes more sense
1: actually. So the company and a private donor, a friend of mine, um, offered to purchase the first hundred alarms at whatever discounted price that I could get them for. So he donated the first hundred alarms um, for me to give to women along the trails and um From there, you know, the publicity of the company just grew and um, I started the GoFundMe. So I launched my GoFundMe and my uh, website with my blog on International Women's Day, which was March 8th. And that was Mm -hmm. completely intentional, you know, publicized that. And that's kind of when I more formally publicized uh, that I was doing a big year. Um, I had it worked out with a company that for every $50 sent to my GoFundMe by donors, $35 $35 of that would go to my travel, and then 15 would go to cover half the price, half price of an alarm that I would purchase mm-hmm. from the company to give to women along the trails. Um, now as the year progressed, um, my partnership with the company evolved, and they started actually basically matching the donation. So the full $50 oh, is nice. going towards my travels, and then the company was actually just donating the alarm to me um, for every $50 to give away. Yeah, that's been a really powerful experience. Um, you know, talking with women and then you know something happens I think to someone when when you just give someone something um yeah. with no no expectation of anything in return. So I just had a real a lot of really amazing powerful reactions from women um that I had gifted these alarms to.
0: Yeah, did you run into women birders along the way who were perhaps interested in doing something like what you were doing but for whatever reason, for personal safety or, or whatever reason they, they had hesitated to do so?
1: Uh, yeah, I've definitely run into a lot of yeah. women that, that said that they, you know, they would, but for reason A or B or C that they mm. don't. And I've also ran into women that have said that I've inspired them and, you know, they're taking, you know, extra leaps in whatever, whatever facet of their life, maybe not necessarily a big year, mm. but, um, you know, taking leaps of faith and, um, you know, it's a hard line that we walk as women between mm-hmm. bravery and stupidity, frankly. <laughs>
0: yeah, especially when you're out birding in various places. Did you ever find yourself in a place where you were a little bit nervous?
1: Yeah, I was on my way back. So I, I went I went up to San Francisco and then I actually went back down to San Diego. And from there, mm-hmm. I flew from San Diego to Sexton Bog, Minnesota. I got a lot of the boreal species Flew back mm-hmm. to San Diego, and then I drove back home to South Texas by way of Albuquerque, uh, New Mexico, to get the rosy finches um, up at San mm-hmm. Diego, just outside of Albuquerque. And I was driving there um, pretty early in the morning, and there was there. was I have a teeny tiny car that is not good at all in snow. Thankfully, it only <laughs> died, like a quarter inch of snow, maybe eighth inch, quarter inch of snow, just enough to see that there was one set of tire tracks that had gone up the mountain and one set of the right. So I got to the top and with COVID, instead of having the cedars viewable from inside the lodge, they had the feeder set up between the lodge and the parking lot for those for those who are familiar with the site. So you can just sit in the parking lot um, in your car or near your car and, and watch and wait for the rosy pinches to come in. So I was there. I was doing that. I was all set up. It's really cold out for a now Texan. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I had my scope set up outside of my car, trained on the feeders already, and then I had my window cracked from one side to listen for woodpeckers coming from the other side. Um, All all situated already so that I could just pop out of my car whenever the birds showed up and look through the scope and work on trying to sort through the species and find all three. Um, mm-hmm. and while I was doing that, a truck came up, this white pickup truck and, um, sat and sat up there and idled and, you know, it's the top of the mountain. It's like 12,000 feet. Um, you don't have cell reception, nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just me and my tiny little purple car. Uh, don't, don't buy a purple car, by the way. Women. <laughs> <laughs> don't buy. A, a, lot, car a lot of people notice it. It <laughs> like a target. Like it was very yeah. clear everywhere that I went this year. Um, that it was a woman and probably only one person, you know, it's so just a very small car. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, um, these two men eventually got out and they were wearing light jackets and baggy jeans and sneakers. And it's, it's really, really cold out. So they're very clearly mm-hmm. not dressed for the weather and there's nothing else at the top of this mountain except for this one little lodge that's closed. So, you know, it's kind of like, what what are they doing here? So they loitered by the truck for about, you know, five minutes, felt like at least 10 um, and uh, then started making their way along this little kind of ridge top trail there at Cyndia Crest. They made their way along the trail. Um, I was basically entering a full-on panic attack at this point. probably the thin air didn't help either. but i I, I mm, mm-hmm. took a few steps back towards my car, and I literally thought I was going to like pass out and like break my head open on the ice or something. but um, they got back to the trailhead. One of them smoked a cigarette. They loitered some more, you know, eventually got back to their truck loitered a little bit more and then got in and drove down um so nothing actually happened you know and they might have been fine but you know my my intuition was just screaming Yeah,
0: just a weird situation (laughs) (laughs) we'll we'll switch gears here um i want to talk a little bit about the the record-breaking bird um because it was special for a a bunch of reasons uh one it was bat falcon first aba area record which is really cool and two because it was like Right where you live it was down in the valley. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was it like breaking the record only a few miles from your home oh my- after running all over the country the previous however many months?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I was in, um, I was in Oklahoma um, looking at Smith Longspur. I had met up with some people that I had met on Facebook, um, this, this couple and another gentleman um, who I'd known on Facebook for a while. And uh, they picked me up from the Tulsa airport. And uh, I stayed the night at their house. And then the following morning, I said, you know, we've got all day. I didn't have another flight out until the, the day after that. So I had like a full day, mm-hmm. the evening and a full day that I was going to be in the area. So I said, it's not a huge hurry. But I said, I want to, in case something else shows up somewhere else, just in case, um, I would like to get to the birds at sunrise and get the birds so that in if it's necessary, I can get to an airport in the afternoon and, and maybe get mm-hmm. somewhere and, you know thinking probably I'd be situated to see another bird the following day wherever I was going to. Well, um, you know, we heard Smith Longspur and then uh, we saw Smith Longspur and I was kind of running around the field trying to photo document it. Cause, um, <laughs> yeah. I sold my camera how they are. <laughs> a couple of years ago. So all of the documentation yeah. I've done this year has been digiscoping or digibinning, um, mm-hmm. my camera or my Swarovski, um, binoculars and scope. So I was trying to do that. And they're really skulky birds, right. And just yeah, around tough. in the grass. And, um, the report of the bat Falcon, uh, showed up. And so I was like, I, I looked, <laughs> looked up at them, the three companions that I was with. And I said, I need to go. I don't know where to go, (laughs) but I need to go. Um, And so it was either I was halfway between Tulsa and Stillwater. um, So I was like, okay, well, let's get back to the car. Once I get in the car, warm up my hands because it's 20 degrees um, Mm -hmm. so that I could use my phone to figure out what my flight options were. Um, I booked a flight right then um, out of Stillwater from like for like two and a half hours from then. Um, it was an hour drive back to Stillwater. They dropped me off at the airport and, or back to Tulsa rather. Um, I flew out of Tulsa, Tulsa to Dallas, Dallas to McKellen, got to McKellen, um, around three 30, um, all bundled up in my winter gear. Still (laughs) got off the plane, you know, did like a little update on my, on my Facebook and Instagram stories, huffing and puffing, like power, walking my way to my car Threw my luggage in paid my uh paid my parking and drove the 20 minutes to santa ana um got out and i was wearing a, a turtleneck sweater um and leggings underneath my jeans and wool socks and non-breathable waterproof hiking boots um and it was like 85 degrees, 85 <laughs> degrees when i landed um and I was like, I don't even have time to change into a T-shirt. Like I just it was so That's scared right. missing it by one minute or, you know, two minutes and whatnot. So I got to the parking lot. I parked and I ran from the parking lot at Santa Ana to the tower, ran up the stairs and someone already had a scope on it. And I stuck my eyeball in it and checked it off. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, you know, it was fun to come home and it was fun. I had a whole bunch of friends that were already there looking at the bird. Yeah. Um, so I got to celebrate with them. And, and actually Santa Ana was the first place that I worked at when I moved to the Rio Grande. Oh, State extra special, yeah. In
0: 2011, 20, in
1: 2012, I guess, the first time. Um, so I used to work there and I'm on the board of the Friends of the Wildlife Corridor right now that supports the refuge, which was the group that I did all the, the anti-border wall work um, with mm-hmm. in support of the environment when I went to go lobby in DC a couple of years ago like pretty much my favorite place in the whole country. So it was really, really amazing to break the record right there. Yeah. And just
0: a really cool bird to break it bird, yeah. with too. <laughs> did you have any other experiences, any memories during the, uh, during the year that just stuck out to you as uh, especially memorable, especially meaningful?
1: You people when I broke the record, everyone was reaching out, congratulating me. And um, Texas Parks and Wildlife Department put up a, a blog post. Laura Keen, Laura Keen was there, mm-hmm. um, which is cool. She's another big year birder. Um,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. There at the Bat Falcon, so we got celebratory dinner afterwards and whatnot. She had taken a photo of me, um, did just scoping the bird, um, and posted that up to so Texas Parks and Wildlife. Anyone, anyway, every, everyone is sharing. You know, oh that I broke the record, and oh seven you know, 725 at that point. Um, uh, and it, it kind of just, I almost felt like a little bit sad in a way, cause it was like mm-hmm. subjectifying the birds. And even though, yes, I was counting the birds, um, throughout the year, it was like, it felt like this other mission was getting lost. Um, mm. one of my favorite memories from the year I was actually, um, driving through the Redwoods. I had some time. So it was, um, September late September into early October I was making my way up the west coast for a bunch of pelagic trips um and mm-hmm. it was really really good luck and it was after all of those pelagic trips finished and I had picked up so many rarities just kind of on happenstance right you can't plan it out with a pelagic it either right
0: yeah totally
1: um so that's when I looked at the numbers and you know I was like wait if I go back and pick up all these single birds that I that I missed right? Because I wasn't really chasing single birds at the time. <laughs> yeah. it long spur. It was like, that's going to be the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. Like I'm not going to bother with like, single birds that have no other birds to be gotten around. So I crunched the numbers and realized the record was in reach. Um, but I was on my West Coast trip and I was uh, on my way back down. Um, I had driven all the way from South Texas to, to San Diego, all the way up to Washington State for a pelagic out of Westport. And I was on my way back down and I had some extra time to kill before my next pelagic so I spent a, a night in the redwoods because um, I'd never been to the redwoods before. So, mm-hmm. I didn't do this, and um, I was driving and I looked down at my phone. There's no reception. It's like it's like a three-hour drive along this really windy road with no reception the whole time. Um, I looked at my phone and it wasn't charging even though it was plugged in. So I kind of jostled the area by the phone and jostled the area by the, the charger plug in. And neither of it worked. And I was like, oh, man, I'm in the middle of nowhere. I've got a couple of hours to, to my destination. My phone, if it doesn't die today, it's going to die tomorrow. And I need to find my way to navigate out of this, like, super remote place. So I got to a point in the road where, you um, know, it's one lane, one lane in each direction. And then they were doing some construction. So they had, um, you know, a, a flagger stopping traffic. And it was, you know, one way and then the other way. So I happened to be the very first person stopped at this at the stop, um, <clears throat> there's a woman flagger and I was looking down at my phone and I was kind of zooming into the map and trying to figure out if there's some little town or something along the way where I might be able to stop and get a new phone charger. And, uh, you know, she comes over and talks to me and, and she's like, oh, do you have, do you have reception here? I said, no, I don't. I'm just, you know, looking at the map and trying to figure this out. And she says, hold on. She walked over to her truck and, um, she gave me her charger, her iPhone charger hmm. And, um, you know, I had the $20 bill already ready ha- to hand to her and she refused the money, you know, and I tried to give it to her again. She refused it. And I was like, oh, you know, she said, I just she said, I just want you to be safe. Um, that's what I care about. And, uh, and then I remembered I had the alarm. Um, and so I gifted her an alarm kind of mm-hmm. in exchange um, for the charger. And, uh, you know, we just shared this moment of literally just a couple of seconds before it was time for me to go, um, kind of just both realizing The beauty of what had just happened is just women looking out for women.
0: Tiffany Kirsten, the new lower 48 big year champion person on top of the mountain um with 726 species uh, in 2021. Congratulations Tiffany. Um I'll have a link to uh her website and all of the stuff that's happening. She's what is the name of your new bird tourism concern or your old bird tourism?
1: Nature Ninja Birding Tours.
0: There you go. If you're looking for someone down in the Valley Nature Ninja uh Tiffany Kirsten you can talk about her big year with her in person. Um thank you so much Tiffany congratulations on on a really remarkable year. It was really fun to follow you uh, for the whole year. Thank you. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. If you enjoy this podcast, you can support it by supporting the ABA with your membership. There are lots of benefits, the likes of which I have shared many times before, but... Our magazines are great, and you do get some discounts to our partners. You can get information on all that at aba.org/join. I have some shout-outs to make this week to Elizabeth Markowitz of Boxborough, Massachusetts; Martin Bouchard of Victoria, British Columbia; Russell Moses of Bryan, Texas; Allison Antholy of Chicago, Illinois; Elaine Jerry of Bedford, Texas; Stephen Wheeler of Mason, Ohio; Gino Coppola of Bowling Green, Ohio; Tammy Steinbeck of Grayslake, Illinois; Nolan, Megan, Adam, Asher, Penelope, and Carolyn Campbell of Wenatchee, Washington and Tully Frayne of Fall Creek, Wisconsin, all of whom recently joined the ABA and noted the podcast as a reason for doing so. Thank you so much. Welcome to the ABA. Technical production is by John Lowry, who suggests that if a lower 48 big year is a thing, then it suggests the necessity of an upper 48 big year that should consist of the Canadian territories, which I'm just eyeballing the map here, seem to make up about 48% of Canada. Additional help comes from David Hartley and Greg Neese who suggest a slower 48 big year, which requires that the big year vehicle stays at least 48% under the posted speed limit at all times, which adds excitement for those drop everything chases. You can find us online at aba.org and on social media most everywhere as American Birding Association, but on Twitter as ABA. Allow me to suggest a lower 48 big year that requires the birder to find the 48 species that are found closest to the ground which would probably be like 48 species of flightless bird, which if someone hasn't done that already, please get on it and write a book. I would like to talk to that person. Questions, comments can come to podcast I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy till next week.